We have some great things to listen to this morning and to absorb. One of the things that thrills me about Vero Bible Fellowship is that from the very foundations of this church, international missions, the teaching of the gospel to people in other parts of the world who don't have the opportunity or privilege to get up on a Sunday morning and go attend a local church the way we do. Those kind of people, people in difficult places, many of which are close to the gospel, that we can focus on taking the gospel to those people in those places, maybe not directly, but by supporting financially and with prayer, great, strong, solid mission organizations who are doing this work effectively. And we set aside one mission or one weekend each year to focus on missions. And the rest of the year, as you know, we talk about it and give some reports about what's happening. We have a missions committee that's active and that members of the missions committee are in contact with different representatives from our different missions organizations so they know uh, how to pray and we can stay connected with the groups that way. But this is a special Sunday when they're coming to us. And we've been looking forward to this for a long time. Last night, we had a great time with a, a group here. And Mr. Okongo Sampson, who you'll be hearing from this morning again, uh, was here and told us about his work with Life, or, sorry, Unite for Africa. And uh, he's going to be up here again this morning. Mr. Kurt Dillinger, the founder and president of Life International. Uh, I interviewed him last night. He's going to be back up here this morning for an interview. And we'll also be uh, sharing a little bit from the Word of God. And then Isaac Shaw. Our, uh, the president of Delhi Bible Institute. We've uh, had him here to speak to us last February. We've talked about Delhi Bible, Bible Institute many times here in our church. We had arranged for Isaac to be here this morning to be our main speaker and to bring a Bible message. We got word early this morning, Isaac, we had a fever all night and is sick and wasn't able to make it here. He's here in Vero Beach, but not at Vero Bible Fellowship. But he sent uh, another gentleman along this morning who is actually a, a part of their organization, and uh, he's going to be sharing with us this morning. Josh Guzman is here with his wife, and he'll be telling us a little bit more about Delhi Bible Institute this morning. So we have some good things ahead of us. We have, so we have these three speakers, and I want to just tell you kind of how it's going to go. Because if I'm sitting out there and I don't know really what's going on or what's coming next, and you have one speaker, and then you have another, and then you have another and then the first guy comes back and speaks again, I'm getting nervous and wondering when I get my lunch. And uh, I don't want you to suffer that way this morning. And so I'm just going to give you a little lay of the land. Here's how things are going to go. We're going to interview uh, Kurt Dillinger, and then we're going to interview Okongo Sampson. Then we're going to interview Josh Guzman, and then Kurt Dillinger is going to come back up because these interviews will be about the details of their work, what we want to be informed about what these organizations are doing as they take the ministry of the gospel around the world. But it's Sunday morning. We also want to hear from the Word of God. And so I've asked Kurt to come back after the three interviews and share with us a little bit of a Bible message. Uh, I asked him not to you know, bring the entire load this morning and teach us everything he knows, but to uh, give us some teaching from the Word of God, because that's vital to the body of our church on a Sunday morning, right? So I think we're going to have a great time. And with that being said, I'd like to invite Mr. Kurt Dillinger to come up here. <clears throat> Kurt, I'm going to give you this mic. Oh, Thank you. I, I, I told Brenton I would forget to do this because it's, you know, my brain doesn't work right all the time. It's time to release the children for their children's ministry. So children, if you would like to come forward and the children's ministry workers uh, to go and have your, your time of teaching, let's, let's hear it for the children of uh, Vero Bible Fellowship and those who are faithfully teaching them the Word of God.
I am so pleased and blessed, and this is something as the, as the elder team we, is important to us and we look out for, that uh, they're not just off babysitting kids in the other room or taking them out of here so that they're not bothering us. These children are learning the basics, the doctrine of the faith, and learning the Word of God as they're out there being taught on their level, in ways that they can understand better than sitting through a sermon. So we appreciate our children's ministry workers. Kurt, you take this. Oh, you have a microphone. Okay, good. Stand right here. We have a little microphone here that's being used for the, the, the live stream. So you stand right there in front of that. I'm going to stand aside. This is my friend Kurt Dillinger. Please welcome him to Vero Bible Fellowship. Jessica and I had the privilege of meeting Kurt uh, almost four years ago. It was in April. Well, will be four years ago this next April in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And Kurt, tell us a little bit about your family. So you, a wife of 44 years. She's, not, she's, she's only 44 years old? Because it's... Uh, yes. She seems like that. I mean, yeah. she's an amazing... Been married for 44 years. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful yeah. lady. You have a wonderful I wife. And I, my wife <laughs> this is the second time that you've been with us at VBF, Kurt, and uh, Gail hasn't shown up either time. So next time, <laughs> don't come without her. Yeah, okay, great. So, Kurt, uh, I want to uh, kind of cruise through your story a little bit here and let people get to know you. Kurt was the pastor of a, a church in Grand, Grand Rapids, Michigan area. And then, Kurt, uh, w what happened after that? Well, that's a... How yeah. long do we have here? Yeah. <laughs> said to me personally as I was interacting with him, you know, he just the spirit works and you sense that voice and that prompting, Kurt, you don't know my heart. What do you mean I don't know your heart? And this whole discussion about abortion and about life issues, the sanctity of human life came out of Genesis 1.26 being made in the very image of God himself. Kurt, you don't understand my heart. And through a process of prayer and exchange, he broke me. And I, at that point, decided that as a pastor, as an under-shepherd, I need to know his heart for life. And he called me into this global movement, a global movement of life all over the world, a movement created by abortion. And we need to go wherever abortion is around the world and bring the message of life. So, Kurt, you became the director of a local pregnancy resource center in Grand Rapids. And then uh, after a few years of that, I know God led you into a, a different branch of work that, uh, that you're yeah. in now. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition and just the, what, what was it that, that opened your eyes to the global problem of abortion and what you might be able to do? As I was working in this mission field created by abortion, I was open to the Father's heart again. And as he continued to prompt me, he put on my heart one day uh, the idea of going wherever abortion is around the world, which I didn't really want to do. And so um, I, I'll make this story very short. 
I eventually began to pray, Lord, send me somebody that I do not know who would affirm this idea of going all over the world. Because I'm this stubborn Baptist type person, you know, and so I needed a real strong prompting. And so one day I was flying with a group of people from my home church to do evangelism door to door down on the island of Trinidad and Tobago. And as I landed, I started to uh, exit the plane. And it was like a big A300 Airbus. And so two people could leave at one time. And this very wonderful person held his hand out to me. And he said, hello, my name is Dr. Clarence Charles. And I said, well, hello, doctor. Good to meet you. And then the next thing was exactly what I had prayed. Because I had been praying for God to send me somebody who would affirm this crazy idea of going all over the world and bring the life message. And he said to me, walking down the stairway, I am interested in establishing life-giving ministry all over the world. And I said, what did you say? <laughs> and he repeated himself. And I said to Clarence, why did you tell me this? Because I'm pretty resistant, you know. And he said, well, because uh, I said, Clarence, do you know me? Do you know what I'm doing? No, I don't know any of that. I said, well, why did you tell me this? He said, because God told me to tell you that. And so I'm going, yeah, right. Yeah, right. This is not happening right now. And we're going through the passport line, and we're going through it, and, and I'm still resisting. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. No, Lord, I'm not going to do this. And then he says to me, uh, we're talking about all of, uh, all of this opportunity, and he says, he says, I want to do this around the world. And he says, I told him, Clarence, there's only one reason why I would do this. And he goes, well, I know the reason. I said, okay, now I'm out. Uh, he's not, uh, he doesn't know the reason. He couldn't know the reason. And I said, okay, Clarence, what is it? He says, because you want to lead people to Jesus. I, I was broken right there because that was the reason why I would do this. I've entered a mission field created by abortion all over the world for the purpose of leading people to Jesus Christ. He nailed it. And that began the journey of Life International. It's an incredible story. I've, I've heard it a few times. And I love hearing it again, the, the way God, God led you into that. So one of the interesting things about you, Kurt, is that uh, you're doing this work now. It's for 20, that was 21 years ago. Started in 2000, around 2000, over 23 years now. 23 years, okay. So uh, now Life International is working in over 100 countries around the world, has a tremendous impact. And uh, all of this started by a guy who is not really a pro-life crusader, no. not an anti-abortion crusader. Not, not, I'm not indicating there's anything wrong with that. There are people who do that. That's their passion, and we need them. But that's not really you. Your passion was for the gospel, that's exactly teaching the gospel. Correct. And we'll come back to that in a minute, but to just draw the connection between how the work of Life International brings the gospel. But I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the, the classes that you do, that you, your organization trains people around the world to lead these seminars called Journey of a Life Giver. And could you just give a little synopsis of what the seminars cover? I'd love to. And so when you're preparing leaders around the world to address this issue, we want them to understand that it is... Um, we start with the whole concept of God speaking today. Does God speak to us? And then we begin talking about all the different ways that God does speak to us. And then we look at 
the sanctity of human life. What is that really? What is the Father's heart for life? And then we look at God's design for man, for woman, God's design for family. And then we look at life itself from conception to birth. That's an amazing process, by the way, because most people in the world do not understand that wonderful, miraculous work of God. And then we talk about what are the implications of living outside of God's design? And then you get into the whole discussion about abortion and many of the different sexual activities that occur outside of God's design and the implications of all of that. As a result of all that, we end up with a whole time of repentance and a time of coming to the Father. And then a fire has been set to go forth with this message into the nations. And these leaders then take this message to all of the areas that they have influence. One of the things that uh, fascinated me when I first started to get to know you in the work of Life International, I think our people would enjoy this also, is the, uh, th that thing you just touched on about how m in much of the world, people don't really understand the biology of fetal development. And so in your courses, you're teaching biology alongside theology. So the biology of life and the theology of life. And you use this little thing that you call a fetal model. We have some pictures. When I first saw this, I thought, well, this is odd. And then, uh, and then Kurt started talking about how they use this in their teaching. Kurt, would you tell a little bit about some of the reaction you have from people as in the course, Journey of a Life Giver, they hold this and learn about it and, uh, and some of the reaction you've seen? When we go through that training of from conception to birth, we stop at 12 weeks and we hand out this little fetal model and they put it in their hand and they hold it. Every single time when we do this, there, there's a weeping that comes out, a crying comes out and pastors will begin to d express, I never knew, I never knew, I never knew. See, so you, you bring them a little truth, just a little piece that'll reveal what's happening in the womb. Just bringing truth to them about this and their hearts are just broken because they realize what they had been part of. They didn't even realize this. When that comes, we talk about the forgiveness of the Lord. We talk about God being redemptive and he can take all of our experience and use it for good in the future. And these leaders are forever transformed. I had one pastor take that little fetal model. It's, it's a little rubber baby. You know, it's, it's, just, it's anatomically correct. That's how big we are at 12 weeks in our mother's womb. And he took that little baby and started shaking it. We must save the little peoples. We must save the little peoples. And I said, yep, we do. Amen. <laughs> but don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> so... Uh, that gives us a little bit of an overview of uh, what happens through the Ministry of Life Internationals. For over 20 years now, these courses have been taking place around the world. By the way, before a course is planned, or as a course is planned, before it takes place in a given country, uh, a team goes there first for a time of prayer, uh, to pray for the, the country, the people there, the people who would be participating. And uh, I think that's part of the strength of what, what happens through Life International. But the result of these uh, seminars is the people who are in the seminars encouraged and equipped to start what you call life-giving ministries mm -hmm. uh, so that instead of from the U.S. trying to staff and fund little ministries to stand for the sanctity of life all over the world 
uh, training people to do it in their own culture, in their own way, in their own language, but standing for life. So after 20-some years, there are people all over the world who are champions for life, who have been through this course, many of whom started a life-giving ministry of their own. And you've got a plan for November of 2023. That's correct. Tell us a little bit about that. We would like to see a leader from every nation on earth come together for this gathering. And we're going to spend a time of repentance together for our first day. Second day, we'll be taking time to, te to testify to all the work the Father has been doing and learn from one another. And the third day, we'll be commissioned to go forth into all of the earth with a life-giving message and the gospel. See, the gospel and the sanctity of human life are inseparable. And so these gospel leaders, these are all church planters from all over the world, are now linking up the sanctity of human life message with the gospel message, and they are bringing that forth into the world. They're bringing life to every nation. That's our vision, and that's our hope. And so please join us in prayer that every nation would be represented at this gathering in November of 23. The Global Congress for Life in Malta, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, Jessica and I have the privilege of being there as well, and mm -hmm. uh, looking forward to seeing what God does through this tremendous event. Kurt, thank you so much. God yeah, bless you. Yeah. Let's hear it for Kurt Dillinger. And Kurt will be back to, uh, to share a little bit with us from the Word of God this morning. Next, I'd like to invite my friend Okongo Samson to come up. And uh, we're going to do a, a little microphone shift here, and I'll give this one to Okongo. And I'm taking this guy. Is that okay? There we go. Okongo Samson, uh, Okongo, where were you born? I was born in Kenya, just the border between Kenya and Uganda. You can cross over for an hour, you are Ugandan, then you come back, you are a Kenyan. In all, I was African. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit, of, of course, about uh, Unite for Africa and what the organization does. But first of all, I'd like to uh, just have you tell us a little bit about the, the, the main focus of Unite for Africa. Then we'll come back and I want to talk a little bit more about your background. The, but what's, what does Unite for Africa do and what's your main focus? The vision is just to unite, equip, mobilize individual, organization, community, churches to transform themselves spiritually, emotionally, physically, uh, mentally bringing abundant life in Christ. It's all about Christ, but it is a holistic ministry. So you do because all... Because God care about us in a holistic way. You deal with a lot of things, but the, the core of it is always the, the gospel. It's the gospel. Yeah. Uh, Okongo, so you, you uh, have... How many mission trips do you think you've been on in your life? Well, it's been 40 years uh, doing this work uh, in 110 countries. You know, I... I, I lose memory. Yeah, it'd so, be hard, impossible <laughs> to count how many trips that would be. Impossible to count, but, you know, multiple times in many countries. And, uh, 40 years is a long time. Yeah. So and how old, how old were you when you took your first mission trip? Well, it was uh, when I was 16 to northern so, Uganda. Okay, 16 years old. Yeah. And tell us what happened when you were on this trip from uh, northern Kenya, right by the Ugandan border, up to northern Uganda. And then what happened while you were on that trip? Well, when we were going to that trip, which was supposed to be in Gulu uh, back then, you know, uh, that time there was this rebel in northern Uganda, Congo, Sudan, as, as you know. And uh, on our way, uh, our bus um, was abducted by these re notorious rebellious um, guerrilla warriors. And so I was abducted and, and, um, and put into the camp where there was these many young kids you know, who were being trained. So in the camp there, I was abducted and I was there for about three weeks. 
um, with many young people and even adults as well. So we were trained there to be soldiers going to fight in the front and, and also being tortured and, and uh, faced a lot of challenges while I was there. And I know there's a, a, a whole series of amazing stories that are connected with this. There's a book in the back on the, on the table set up there that uh, Okongo wrote. It, it's his biography and the story of some of these uh, taking cap, being taken captive as a teenager and uh, many things that happened after that and also uh, some other things that we're going to talk about. But uh, Ok so I would encourage you to grab a copy of that book. If you'd like to make a donation, there's a place to do that back there. But if you just want to take one, the church will make sure that Okongo's expenses for those are covered. We want you to have this book. It's an incredible story, not only of the action and the things that happen in his life, but also the forgiveness. So let's, let's uh, go to that. But how many times, that was the first time that you were uh, taken captive. And then uh, you went into to ministry. We'll come back to that. Uh, how many times during your ministry have you been imprisoned because of your teaching? Well, 15 times in prison, but multiple times being detained and whipped for a few days and then released. But prison 15 times in 15 countries in the Middle East and Northern Africa. And we're not even counting the times when you weren't actually in a prison, just being detained and beaten. and Yeah, you know. detained is just you're kind of being kept there and whipped and, just, and then released. But uh, prison is now they've made a verdict because you are a criminal spreading the gospel uh, of Christ, which is not allowed in that country. And so since you're guilty, now you have to be locked in. So, but uh, that, to me, detention is also prison in its own way. Just like, you know, we have prison. Uh, we could be free, but we are prisoners of sin. So, but, uh, but 15 times. So at what point in your life did you uh, feel God just impressing on you that the importance of going and preaching the God? This has gotten, a, gotten, into, gotten you into a lot of trouble. What was it that, uh, that made you know this is what you're supposed to do regardless of the cost that you have to pay? Well, when I accepted Christ at age 15, that's when I had God saying, Oh, Congo, I want to use you to the uttermost part of the world to take the gospel and bring transformation. And I had no idea what that was. But um, so I just believed in him and, uh, because I was a believer. And so it started with northern Uganda. And of course, you know, that did not go well. But I escaped miraculously after three weeks, actually four weeks. And so when I came, God kept on speaking, I want to use you to the uttermost part of the world. And, and, you know, with my first experience, I was doubting, I was fearful, but he kept on speaking. And then um, quickly I learned that, you know, when God is speaking and telling you to do something, you ought to do it. Because if you don't do it, that's disobedient. And disobedience has consequences. And so, so here I was with myself, you know, do I do that or not? And so, so I just ended up going because... Um, because he said, I need to go. And then at that time, I had read the scripture uh, from the beginning to the end. And um, Adam and Eve, when they were called, you know, when they were made and sent, they said, go ye to the whole earth. And of course, you know, bring God's glory. And then, then I kept on reading prophet after prophet. They were called, but they were not called to hide. They were called to go, you know. And then, then Jesus, you know, he came basically in heaven, who will go? And he came. So, and then when he came, he, he, he gave this incredible teaching, miracle things. And then he gave us the great commission that go to the all nation. So I figured out that, no, this is part of me. You know, from the beginning of creation, God wanted all of us to go prophet. And now as a disciple, we need to go. So he is calling me to go. But um, trouble was, was scary. And up to, up to now, it's still scary. 
But I was also not concerned because Christ talked about it. You know, when you read Luke, that, you know, some of you will be persecuted because of my name. So at least he gave, a, he gave me a heads up that you'll go through that. So, you know, so even when I was going through that, I said, well, this is part of what he talked about. I wish he didn't have to say that because he's in control. But, you know, that's what, what it is. I, I'm a slow learner, but I think after maybe uh, five or ten times of being imprisoned and tortured and beaten for preaching the gospel, I would find a congregation who wanted to hear me talk <laughs> and then focus on them. But you, uh, you didn't do that. You, if you read Okongo's story, you'll read about how God impressed upon you to go back to the people who had imprisoned you. Yeah. Can you talk about that? So there's, there's different ways on which I got out of the prison, you know, and all of them were miraculous work of God. God still performed miracles. Even for me to be here, it's a miracle. And so um, when I got out of all those prisons, because of the torture that was intense, uh, physical torture, my legs were drilled, and you know, I don't want to show here, and then they said, oh, that black dude was stripping himself. I don't want to do that. But you know, my legs were drilled, hung upside down, and they were, I was raped multiple times. And, uh, and I even denied Christ in Saudi Arabia. When I was hung upside down, they said, you know, do you believe in Jesus? I, 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 I said, no, I believe in Muhammad, peace be upon him, I, so that I get out of pain. But when I got out of all of those prisons, I was really in bad shape. You know, I was emotionally not healthy. I was mentally not healthy. And so I needed healing emotionally. I needed healing spiritually because I was angry at God. Why would he allow this kind of thing? And I was angry with men because, you know, when you're raped multiple times, seven, 15 times in prison, seven out of those who were sexual. And I was asking God why. So I was angry with men to the point where even from northern Uganda, when I see men, I would think that's what they'll do. So I was not healthy relationally. And, um, and so I was really messed up. So I needed healing. And, and, and my healing had to come from forgiving those people who did wrong things to me. And so when God was telling me, forgive, because that's his word, and, and, and so you may be healed, that was a tough message for me. But I came quickly to realize that because I was so messed up and my mental healing, so I don't have to think about suicide, uh, committing suicide, which I tried several times, didn't work. God got a hold of me. But then it was through forgiveness. And so I forgive some of them. When I say, God, I forgive them, that's good, but just inward. And then God told me, you need to go back to those places, those prisons, and if they're there, uh, then tell them you forgive them for what they did. And then I started getting angry with God. You know, I know what they did to me. You're telling me to go back and meet those people. So, but then when God says something that you need to do, you ought to do it. Because I know reading Jonah, when God told him to go to Nineveh, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He went the other way. The consequence, the fish he was supposed to eat, ended up swallowing him. You know, I didn't want to do that. So I decided, God, let me just go, but kill them before I go. That's now me negotiating with God. Because that's a reasonable request. Yeah, so, but then, so I ended up going. Some of them, if you read the book, did not end well, but it was just a tough thing to tell them, you know, I came here to just forgive you for what you and your government and your system did to me. That led to some of them giving their life to Christ, where some of them are working with us in our ministry of Unite for Africa. But some of them, just their hearts are hardened, 
and it became part of an outreach. So, uh, you know, so some of them are really fun because of the nature of how I got out of prison. So we still talk about those, those scenarios. I, I want to thank you for sharing that. And again, I, I direct you to the book that's in the back. Uh, it's full of these stories and, and uh, more of what God has done in and through Okongo. I want to touch on a couple of, of things that uh, I think are important to know. Okongo, you have a theological education. You went to the UK, to England, to, uh, to go to school, and you, you have a theological education, and you're a medical doctor. Yes, I did a medical, and then I went and specialized in oncology, so mostly breast and cervical cancer. So I used to travel with World Medical Mission to even go to this country. And then I did also theology to now be full-time training leaders, disciple leaders around the nation, around the world, um, and then focus to church planting. But also, um, uh, as a result of the trauma that I had to go through, and um, you know, which I was wounded by the church. I remember when I got out of some of those prisons, I was told, you are not anointed enough. You, God didn't call you. That's why you went through those challenges. So, that's what led me to go do theology. And then from counseling to therapy to therapy, and some of them were like, you have a five year to go through this counseling for you to heal. And little did I know that I needed to just forgive, go and forgive them so that God would just take a load from me. So I decided, okay, I went through counseling. I want to do counseling and therapy as well. So I ended up piling those, those things so I can become all things to all people because Paul, Apostle Paul was my mentor. So that's why I ended up uh, trying to learn those. But what I learned is just not as much as important as just believing in Christ in the simplest and obeying what, uh, what, what he wanted. You know, I struggle with going to these places when God told me to go because I was saying, I'm not educated. You know, I'm poor. You know, I didn't even speak one language when I was called to go. And so, but God, by his grace, allowing me to do those would be great. So when I did medical in Nairobi, then I went and did further studies in England and Israel. So uh, these are things that give you not only an opportunity to go into difficult places, but also a certain amount of stature as you go into some of those places as a, a doctor, a theologian, a, a man who has that, uh, that status and education in those cultures. Uh, I, I want, we need to wrap this up, but I wanted to uh, touch on one more thing. That is, uh, that with the broad network that God has built now through the years that you're leading in Unite for Africa, you're reaching lots and lots of people. Okongo and Shiloh were in our home for dinner on uh, Friday evening. And as we were sitting around talking, uh, you, you guys were telling us about how you, when you go to a place, you find a man of peace. We have, uh, it might not be a man of God or a biblical Christian, but somebody who's a man of peace who can welcome you. We have some pictures I want to show. Jess, can we show the, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on here? Oh, this is a Muslim preacher. He has a mosque of about um, 4,000 members. And so when we go to every place, we, we, our mission is the Jesus way. We call it the Jesus way. We don't do it our way. And going to every village, every country, you got to find a man of peace or a noble man. That's how the scripture calls them. Sometimes those people are not necessarily Christian, a pastor or a mayor. Uh, so sometimes they are these Muslim leaders. So when we go there, we, we go the Jesus way, meet with them, tell them about our mission, just like Jesus told his disciples. And sometimes they accept us, which is okay. And sometimes they don't, which is also okay. We dust our foot and go. When we share with them, we tell them what God has brought us to do. 
and then outreach begin from there. By the time you take a picture like that, they've accepted you. I know prison is not coming my way, so I can smile. So, so, but then from there, we now expand and start doing outreach when they get to realize we are for the gospel, and the gospel is good news, good news to all, to all people, all tribe, like we were singing, and all nation. And so then they accept us. And then we even invite them. Actually, we even use them to have large gathering like this. Uh, this was last month, and uh, we had about 100,000 in a Muslim-dominated area. And then we gave the gospel, and many people came and gave their life to Christ. And so, so that's how we do. But we start with one, multiple, and, and all. We want to disciple the whole world. Okongo, thank you so much for being with us and for doing what you do. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much. Please, please pick up uh, a copy of his book in the back, and, uh, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more from Okongo in the coming years. But uh, what, what a remarkable ministry that, that God has given to him. Next, I'd like to invite uh, Josh Guzman, uh, up representing Delhi Bible Institute. As I mentioned before, Isaac Shaw was not able to be here because uh, he's sick this morning. He's here in Vero Beach, but not able to be with us. But welcome, Josh. Thank you for being with us this morning. Josh, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your background. Who are you? Where are you from? Okay, so I'm a uh, PCA pastor of 20-plus years in Delaware, and uh, my involvement with DBI began in 2006 <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, when I got on a plane and went to North India, having met Isaac Shaw in the U.S., uh, at that time, Delhi Bible Institute did not have a whole lot of support and network and church support in the U.S., mostly in the U.K., because um, DBI was founded by an Irish missionary in the 50s. Um, and so there were a lot of churches in the U.K. and still are that support the work of Delhi Bible Institute. Um, and if you know anything about uh, the church in the U.K. and England and places like that, they're largely, they're, they're mostly some very small churches and and the church is shrinking there. And so in 2006, when I went and saw the work of Delhi Bible Institute as it existed at that time, which was much smaller than what it is now, um, I felt like the U.S. needed to hear about this important work, having seen it myself. And so I came back in 06. Um, and in fact, I think maybe the third slide of this just shows one example of trips where I began to bring pastors and people from the U.S. in different um, churches around uh, my area and then eventually around the country to see DBI, um, maybe that third slide there, but I don't know if that, this PowerPoint is working or not. But Josh, why don't you tell <clears throat> us, uh, give us a little bit of orientation yeah. about what uh, Delhi Bible Institute does. What's the focus? So maybe if you go back a slide, it'll help to just orient people to what DBI is. Delhi Bible Institute is a church planning and training organization that has been in operation in North India since 1954 when it was started by an Irish missionary named Robert Duff who began with a vision, which at the time was very uh, visionary and ahead of its time, to train national leaders to begin to run the church in North India. So to, to do the work of evangelism and church planning, but then to turn that work over to national leaders, which if you are familiar with the history of missions, oftentimes was not the way it's been done. Uh, we would, we meaning Westerners, would stay and continue to run and control the church. And so the vision from the very beginning of DBI is to equip the church in North India to lead the church in North India and to replicate itself. And that's what's been happening since 1954 for the first 40 years or so. 
uh, a very slow, methodical, kind of high-level way, almost seminary-type training, a couple hundred students a year. Uh, by the 90s, uh, a change and a shift in, in philosophy, and by 2000, when Isaac Shaw took over, who you were supposed to be hearing today, you're supposed to be hearing from an Indian uh, leader in North India, instead you've got me. But uh, when Isaac took over that work, he realized that the need was so great in North India that this slower approach of high-level theological education only wasn't going to work. And so they began offering one week, one month, one year courses, different levels to meet uh, really the, the people at the grassroots. North India, uh, when I say North India, I mean if you just imagine the, the country of India and just cut it in half and you realize nine out of ten Christians live in the South. All the Indian missionary stories and heroes you've heard of were largely in the South over the last couple hundred years. The church in North India uh, is very small. Uh, only one out of ten Christians in India live in the North. The percentage of Christians in North India is less than one-half of one percent. Um, and so it's a very difficult and hard-to-reach area. When I first went and connected with this work, what I loved about what DBI does is they are focused on the church. Uh, there are a lot of great relief organizations and social initiatives that take place in missions, as we know. But the goal of Delhi Bible Institute is to plant the church and strengthen the church, to replicate the church because the church is God's idea. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And they're focused on expository preaching, that the gospel goes forth, but also that disciples are made. Because the call, of course, is not to, to go into all the world and make converts. The call is to go into all the world and make disciples by teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So Delhi Bible Institute started in Delhi, as you can see, in 1966 in that one center, which was on the outskirts of town, which now, by God's providence over the last 60 years, is in the center of the whole government district. It's an incredible location. Uh, and then they began to expand. Dehradun up north, Lucknow the year following that. I was privileged to be a part of both of those in the early days. And then each year you could see almost since then they've been adding centers. The vision is to plant a training and regional center in the capital cities of all the states of North India. So where do most of your students come from? So again, as that vision shifted and they said we want to reach the grassroots uh, of North India and begin to, to do that. So most of those students come from the villages and the towns of these states. They used to have to come in, find a way to get into Delhi. And that was largely word of mouth as students were trained in Delhi and went back to their home villages and towns and began to plant churches. They would then send people to DBI for training. But of course, that's very difficult to make that trek. And that's why they said we want to begin to plant uh, centers in all the different states in the capitals, and now students can go there. So it's still a travel sometimes, but it's less of a travel. Most of those students, um, men and women, boys and girls, we would call them, many young people in their teens and early 20s, um, are coming from the lower castes. If you're familiar with the caste system in India, um, even though it's technically not supposed to exist anymore, it very much exists, and if you've been to India, you know that. The gospel has really made inroads in the lower caste, particularly among the Dalits, which used to be referred to as the untouchables. They're, not, they're so low, they're not even in the caste system. And so the gospel, God has been pleased to really advance the gospel 
uh, in great ways, especially among the Dala people. A few years ago, we made a movie uh, about this phenomenon that DBI experiences in reaching Dalits, uh, and that's available to you if you want to see that. I don't have it on me today because I'm pinch hitting here today. Uh, but that doesn't mean the high castes are left out. There are many Brahmins that come to faith. And of course, 13% of the population in North India is Muslim. Many people don't realize that. Most of the major seminaries for Islam are in North India. And so there's a tremendous mission outreach and uh, gospel advancement happening among Muslims in North India. In fact, some of the key leaders in DBI's organization are former Muslims. So uh, the gospel is pretty simple, but uh having proper, a proper theological base for your, your people who are going out and teaching the gospel, starting churches, uh, is important. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of, of solid, sound theology and the commitment to that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> being involved in missions from the early days of my own ministry, um, you see all, all kinds of uh, well-intentioned efforts, and then the question is, well, what is the impact and what's the longevity and sustainability uh, if, our, if our theology isn't right, and by that I don't just simply mean uh, our theology of salvation or God's sovereignty, all those things are very important, um, but even our ecclesiology, how do we understand what the church is? You know, are we just building wells, or how is that connected to the church? Because that's a transformational community that's God's idea. And so when I came to DBI and, and interfaced with it, I realized their theology is so well-rounded. Isaac himself is trained in England uh, under John Stott and some of these, you know, I could do a lot of name dropping for Isaac, I won't do that, but uh, men whose theology and, and ecclesiology is quite sound. Uh, he has an international board of directors of, of men who some of those names you would probably also recognize uh, that I'm privileged to be a part of, uh, even though you don't know my name, <laughs> um, whose theology is, is, is very sound. And so um, really when you go to India, you realize that the hardest thing for you to conceptualize in your own theology is the sovereignty of God. Uh, in the U.S., it's much easier. Now, when personal suffering hits, we struggle. But if we go out and our roads work and our, and our water works and our electricity works, and if things make sense, when you're in India, none of that is true. And so <clears throat> if your theology is even a little bit off about the sovereignty of God, um, you're going to have a very difficult time proclaiming good news to people who need to hear it. That is so fundamental to the message of what DBI does. And I think it's the secret of their longevity and their growth over all these years. They're now operating out of 12 centers in North India. So uh, I remember talking with Isaac one day, and he mentioned uh, something like this, that sound theology, sound doctrine is the steel that upholds the church, these pastors and missionaries, as they're suffering persecution. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, persecution that's faced by the, the pastors that you're sending out? Yeah, and I want to be careful because I'm not sure if you guys are live streaming or not. We've had to be we very... Are. Okay, so I'll speak in generalities because um, we've had to be much more cautious in the last few years, I'll put it that way. Um, the church is facing opposition uh, in an increased way in the last few years. Uh, if you're familiar with what's happening on the global scene and politically, uh, I can just leave it at that. Um, <clears throat> and so that's touching DBI regularly, weekly, in fact. Um, uh, that was part of its heritage from the very beginning. That was true, too. And there's been seasons in the history of India where that has uh, been more true. 
and, uh, and it certainly is the case in the last few years. In fact, if you go to that website, dbip.org, you'll see it's very scaled down right now. You'll say, this isn't much of a website. We've had to pull about 80% of our content uh, in explaining what, what we do and, and the ways that we're working uh, because of our, our online profile. Um, and so the opposition is great. It seems to be growing. Um, the, the climate in North India is extremely difficult right now. Um, Isaac himself has, has spent time in prison in the course of his career numerous times. Um, and so are some of the, those who are trained and sent out uh, and staff as well. So we really appreciate your prayers. I could say more uh, individually if you, if you want to come and talk to me about that. Great. Josh, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Uh, so pleased that God saw fit to have you and your yeah. wife here in Vero Beach from Delaware this weekend so you could stand in for Isaac, and we're sorry that he wasn't able to be with us. But thank you for uh, being part of it. We're going to have uh, each one of these three gentlemen come back up at the close of our service and have some of our elders come up and, and pray for them and their ministries. God bless you, and thank you for being with Thanks, us. Thanks, Marshall. Before Kurt comes up to, uh, to open the Word of God and share with us to close our service this morning, I just wanted to draw your attention to a, a common thread that you see going between these three ministries, and that is that they're not just individuals who are out there following God and doing what He told them to do, but these are people who God has used to build teams of people and networks of people. But beyond that, these teams and networks of people aren't just out there doing this work, they're training other people to do this work. And that's tremendous because that model has no limit. When people are training people, like the book of 2 Timothy in the second chapter in the second verse, Paul talking to Timothy said, the things that you've heard me teach in front of faithful witnesses, go and teach others also who will teach others. That's my own translation of that verse, but I think it gets the point across. The things you've heard me say, the things that I have taught you, go and teach others who will go and teach others. And that's the model that we see happening, and that's the way the work of the gospel, the work of the Great Commission is being fulfilled through these kind of ministries. Now, here's the thing. It's our privilege as Vero Bible Fellowship Church. It's our privilege to take 10% of every dollar that comes into our church, set it aside, designate it for missions, and to have a missions committee who carefully and prayerfully finds organizations who are faithfully doing this work in responsible ways with sound theology and good financial management to go out there and teach people who are teaching others also the work of the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? And thank you for being a part of it. And thank you for supporting the work of our missionaries. And we should be blessed today as we hear the fruits of the labors of these organizations that we get to be just one little part of standing behind them and supporting them and sending them out. So we want to be prayerful and mindful of what they're doing as well. Thank you guys for uh, coming up and sharing this stuff with us this morning. Now I'd like to, uh, to ask Kurt to come back up and, and uh, open the Word of God. And uh, please welcome back Mr. Kurt Dillinger. values and what we believe in. 
And so, but that's what we're talking about here, isn't it? When we leave this place and we go out, who are we? We're ambassadors for the kingdom. And we have an opportunity to represent our Lord and Savior as we go out into the world. And so I chose a passage this morning uh, that I believe helps equip us with that missional thinking, with a missional heart that all of us here can take and go into the spheres of influence that all of us have. Each of us in this room has a mission field. Every one of you. It might be your home. It might be your family system or your whole uh, neighborhood. Maybe it's your work environment. Maybe it's going into the politics. I don't know where you might be going, but there's mission fields out there everywhere. And so how do we develop that heart and that mindset to represent our Lord and Savior in our daily going? And before I get into this, I'd just like to mention that Life International uh, loves to partner with other ministries, and we are actively involved with Unite for Africa. We work together for the kingdom, and it's a joy and a privilege to work with you. I love it. And uh, Josh with the Delhi Bible Institute, I would love to work with you, but I do, under, I do know that um, Isaac's aunt, Vanita Shaw, is very active. I don't know if you know Vanita or not, but you probably do. We're partners with Vanita. And so it's a small world, isn't it? It's so exciting, but I'd love to talk to you more about that at some point. So you at uh, Viral uh, Bible Fellowship can see how God weaves these things together and how are our hearts being woven together as the Father guides us and directs us. So how long do I have? As long as I want. I love hearing that. That's, that is like honey to a preacher's ears. <laughs> as long as you want. But I know that's not true. So is it 11.30 or about 15 minutes? All right. Well, okay. Let's see what can happen in 15 minutes. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit comes to speak to our hearts. Your word is powerful. Every word here is written for us to hear. Open our ears, Father, to hear your heart. Open our hearts up to you and what you have in mind for us today. Help us, Lord, to grow more in love with you, our treasure. You are our treasure as we open your word together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read together. I'm just going to read through Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And you can follow along as I read. I am captured by this story. Uh, apart from the Lord Jesus, who I absolutely love in Scripture and all that the scripture talks about him. This character that is here uh, just amazes me. And so let's, let's read about this. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, 
was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant still sick. Did I get that one wrong? What happened? They found the servant completely healed, probably more healthy than what he had ever been in his entire life. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. So why do I bring you to this passage? Jesus coming from a full day of preaching and teaching to many crowds, came back into Capernaum. What's Capernaum? It's a place that Jesus called home. It's, a, it's his home base. That's where he did ministry out of. Probably came back to rest. But what is he encountering? A centurion who has a servant who is sick. Now, there are four things I'd like us to pay attention to here. And if in your notes at the back of your handout, you can just write this down. Four L's. Four L words, words that start with L that I've kind of come up with as I look at this. So the, the, the centurion is an unusual character. What kind of person is a centurion? Anyway, what do you think? When, when you think of a centurion, what comes to mind? A soldier, okay. What kind of soldier? What's that? A Roman soldier, okay. What kind of Roman soldier? A leader. And a centurion is probably a leader who had charge over how many? A hundred people, a hundred soldiers. I, I think they're all soldiers. And a centurion is usually someone who had gotten to that point because they had been in battles and they have succeeded. And so he was battle seasoned. He had been through a lot. And here we have a Roman centurion in another land. So now we're talking about some cross-cultural dynamic here. A totally different person than the Jewish culture. 
a centurion was somebody who understood things, probably not surprised by a whole lot because he understands he needs to know what he is facing. And so he always had a daily briefing, I suppose. What's going on out there? He knows everything about this culture. And so here is a man who probably spent time listening. He listened. He probably sat in meetings with Jewish leadership and listened and listened and listened. He knew that culture. This is wisdom. Now, here is a person who is representing a conquering kingdom. He's a conqueror in this land, but he's taking time for lots of reasons to understand this culture, and so he sits down and listens to them. And as he's listening, he's learning. He's learning about this people group, this strange group of people that he has been placed in charge of. And he's learning things. What did he learn? He learned about their form of religion. This probably was different than his religion, most likely. But he opened his mind up to learn about their religion. I suspect he knew it as well as they did. That's what a centurion did. Very smart person. And he took the time to understand. So here's someone who is listening, taking the time to listen. And if you think about that in your own culture today, how many people that you meet on a given day would just want you to listen to them? Have you thought about that? I find myself in a restaurant often. And when a waitress or a waiter comes up to me, I'll ask them, could I pray for you today? Do you realize what happens when you ask that one question? You'll begin to see tears coming. Most likely, that person has never had anybody in their life ask them that question. Just listen to the world around you. You see how this mission field just opens up? How you can develop a missional heart with simple things like that, going into your world with an attitude and a heart of, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to the people around me, and I'm going to learn about their lives, what's going on. That's what the centurion did here. And as he listened and he learned something was going on with that culture towards him, how is it? that a bunch of Jewish leaders went on behalf of this Roman centurion and went to Jesus and pleaded with Jesus and told Jesus, this man deserves you to do this. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that make you wonder and think what occurred over time between this centurion and that culture that they would actually be willing to do that? What did they say to Jesus? 
First thing they said, this man loves our nation. Amazing. A man so different than us has chosen to love us. That's the third L. So he's listening, he's learning, and he's loving. He's loving. These are pretty sophisticated leaders. And they said that first about this man. This is a soldier, a warrior who has been through battles. He's loving us. He's loving us. And then they say he built our synagogue. And so he labored. That's the fourth out. He listened. He learned. He loved. And he labored. This is an incredible sequence of missions just by itself. If we could apply it to our lives, all of us individually, are we willing to do this with anybody? Listen, learn, labor, love and labor on behalf of others. He built their synagogue. He did not build a Roman temple. He built their synagogue. If I had just a little more time, we would dive into this a little more. I hope you do. Look at this. Go deeper into this and begin to comprehend what is going on here. Somehow, some way, this centurion knew something about Jesus. Because he concluded, I need Jesus to heal my servant. What did he say about Jesus? I know authority. I know it. I've got it. I understand it. Listen to what he says. I don't even deserve to have you come to my roof. I'm, I'm a Roman centurion. I am dirt. I'm, I'm filthy. You are pure. I, I can see in you authority. I, could, I, I see in you the capacity to heal my servant. I understand this. Don't even come here. Just say the word. That's my Lord. That's my King. That's my Savior. Is he yours? Is he? Amen? That's my, that's my God. He's able to do this. This Roman centurion believed this. Do you? Do you? A man completely different than Jesus chose Jesus. Somehow, maybe he's out on some of his tours and he saw Jesus preaching. He picked it up somewhere. Somehow. Don't even come to my house. Just say the word, and my, my servant will be healed. Now, last thing I'd like to talk about here is maybe a fifth L. You probably won't hear this from anybody else, but Jesus got licked. It says here that he was amazed. 
Won't you just pause for a second and think about that? God being amazed at a human being. The Roman centurion had faith to such a degree that Jesus said, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. You get, you, you get the sense that Jesus was looking for this. He hadn't seen it anywhere, not even in his disciples. It just hadn't been there, and he's been longing for it. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is being ministered to by this Roman centurion. And Jesus is saying, he's declaring, I'm amazed. I, I am amazed. Not because this person listened and learned and loved and labored, all of which are exceptional, but because of his faith. So this morning, I leave you with two challenges. I'm challenged with these, and so I'm just not going to be the only one with these challenges. I'm going to bring them to you this morning. First one, are you willing to do the first four outs in your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplace? Are you? Are you willing? Please consider this. Are you willing to listen? somebody today to learn, to love them, and to labor on their behalf? That's missions. That's who we're called to be as God's people in this world. Because the entire earth is in a state of groaning. Can't you see it? Can't you feel it? And the only answer for that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have that treasure and you're the ones who can bring that to the places in greatest need. Second challenge. Question is, is it possible to amaze God? What we see right here. Yes. What is the challenge then? Are you willing to walk in such a way in faith that you amaze your Lord and Savior. Isn't he worthy of that? He is. So Heavenly Father, guide us and direct us, lead us, show us your way, mold us into your way, and oh Lord, I pray for the gift of faith upon everyone here today that we could live in such a way that we amaze you. You are worthy of this, Lord. We give our lives over to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kurt, thank you for sharing with us. Uh, as we close our service this morning, a, a couple of comments, and we're going to bring up uh, our missionaries and pray for them as we close. Perhaps during the time last night or this morning, uh, you feel God urging you to be more involved in being connected to global ministry. 
doing what Kurt is talking about and expressing the gospel and ministering to people through our lives and our own communities and workplaces and families, but also being connected somehow in a greater way to global ministry, to those who are out there taking the gospel to difficult places where you and I may or may not be able to even go. If that's the case, then I'd invite you to, to talk to, to Jessica back there or, or to talk to me about how you can get connected with our missions committee who's helping to keep that connection to global ministry. I hope that each one of you this morning uh, understand that with the knowledge that you've gained today about three important ministries, you have a responsibility as well. That's to pray for these people, these friends who are out there connected with Vero Bible Fellowship doing their ministry in difficult places. So be faithful to pray for them. And we want to do that right now. I'd like to invite uh, Josh and Okongo and Kurt to come up here. I'd also like to invite uh, three of our elders, uh, Pastor Brenton, Scott Walker, and Doug Hampson to come up. And we're going to close our service by praying specifically for uh, these three ministries and the people that they represent. Scott, would you start us out and pray for um, New Delhi Bible Institute? Okay, and then uh, and then Doug and Brenton, if you would close, you can. Just... Sure, absolutely. Yep. Let's pray, Father God. We thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for this uh, missions weekend uh, that you have uh, orchestrated, Father, in, in only your timing and capacity, Father. Thank you for uh, even through uh, Isaac's uh, illness, Lord, that uh, that plans went on, Lord, and, and you had uh, Josh here. Uh, in your hand of providence, Lord, and, and he was able to speak and give a clear understanding, Lord. And we pray right now for the Delhi Bible Institute, Lord, and we pray that you will go forward with them. You will uh, keep them their mission uh, going forward, Father. Uh, keep them safe, Father, as, as the climate changes across the world, Lord. We know the difficulties they face, but we, Lord, we ask for a, a hand of protection uh, and grace uh, on their on the ministry, Father God. We uh, we also pray for uh, Isaac's health right now as he's uh, uh, to, under the weather, Lord. We pray that you will uh, heal him and touch him, Lord. That he'll begin to feel better for uh, for travel, Lord. And again, we just thank you so much for um, Josh and his wife being here today to uh, explain clearly uh, exactly what they do and where they are and how we can begin praying for them, Lord. Thank you so much for them, and uh, we pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Dear Father, I just want to thank you so much for my brother at Congo. Dear Lord, when I look at him and talk to him, I see you. Father, all that he's been through, yet the smile that, that beams on his face, Father. Dear Lord, uh, that's you. That's not humanly possible to deal with everything that he's dealt with, but yet to just rejoice. So, Father, I thank you for what you've done in his life, Father. I thank you what you're doing in his life. I thank you for what you will do in his life. I pray that you'll protect him and all of his ministry partners, Father. I pray that you will surround them with your love. You will fill them with your spirit, that they may reach the world for you, and that many, many, many will come to know you and love you through them. Thank you, Father, for all that you do, your grace, your mercy, and your love. It's in Jesus' name. Lord God, we thank you so much for just the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you that we see you at work in each of these men and each of these ministries. Lord, and we're, we, 
just want to give all glory and honor to you as we hear of your work, as we pray for your work of the gospel all around the world. Lord, I lift up Kurt to you, and I pray even this morning just for him, Lord, as the leader of this organization, that you would encourage his heart, Lord, that you'd refresh him and renew him in the sense of your love and compassion for him, that you'd remind him of your great love, of the depth, the length, the breadth, and the height of it for him. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage and empower each of the the members of his ministry as well as they go out into all the world with this with these initiatives. Lord, we pray for the journey of a life giver classes. We pray that you would multiply them, Lord, that you would uh, use them and that many people would come to them all over the world and that they would be given the gift of a true understanding of life, but even more than that, they'd be given a gift of a true understanding of the gospel that they would know how to have life and have life in you. We pray, Lord, for the global Congress for Life that's coming up next year, and we ask, Lord, that you would bless it and that you would draw leaders from all over the world to come and to be captured by a vision of your heart for all people, of your heart for life and for the nations. And we pray, God, that you would bless his ministry, that your hand would be upon it, and that in all their faithfulness, Lord, you would produce the fruit, that we all would be spreaders of the seed of your word, that we would all share the seed of the gospel, Lord, and that we would trust that it is in your hands, it is in your sovereign hand, that you will use it, that you will bring fruit, and that if we trust in your name, you will bring glory to your name in all the nations across the earth. And so we pray, God, that you would be glorified, and we thank you this morning that we've been able to gather and glorify you together. And we pray this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, if you'd like to stand and uh, receive this benediction and blessing from the Lord, and we'll close our service. If you'd like to pray with one of our elders or our prayer partners this morning, they'll be up here at the front of the church uh, after our service and would be delighted to pray with you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful day.